Good morning. It's good to see you all, particularly if you're here for the first time. Very, very warm welcome uh, to you. You join us, as Sarah has said, at the beginning of a new series uh, in the Beatitudes called B. Uh, And so it's a good time to come if you've just started with us. Now we're going to read from the Bible. Um, uh, Hopefully some words are going to come up on the screen for us. Uh, So don't worry if you don't have your Bible. Uh, The first reading might sound a bit odd, um, but you'll see as we get into this, hopefully, that the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' sermon, are so closely linked to this passage famous passage uh, for the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61. So I'm going to read that uh, and then we'll jump in uh, together. Let's read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You'll feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you'll inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly In the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." And then we're going to read uh, before we're all going to read. So would you do me a favor, keep that on the screen. But if you turn in your books, you'll see these little guides that we've produced for you. Do grab those guides. And if you turn to the second page, so the kind of second inside page, if you should, so open it up and then open the page again and you'll see the Beatitudes written there. Do you see that? The inside cover, Matthew chapter 5, it begins like that. Can I invite us all to stand? Please stand if you're able to. I'm going to read the words on the screen, and then we're all going to read these words together. And we're going to do that in a particular way. You'll see there's lots of different stanzas. And so you guys over this side, can you read the first stanza when we get to it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. And then you guys then read the next one, blessed are those who mourn, and so on. And then you go back, do the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, yeah? And then you'll see the paragraph right at the bottom which is a bit bigger, we'll all then read that together. 
Does that make sense? Brilliant. I'm going to read these words, which are the introduction to it, and then we'll read together. Here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. together. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless the reading of his word. Do sit down. What is Christianity about? It's an important question. And I guess if we asked around here whether or not you'd call yourself a Christian, we would have lots of different answers about God, about Jesus, about love, about salvation, and so on and so on. But alongside all those brilliant things, I'm also becoming more and more convinced, as I've studied the Beatitudes, that Christianity is also about happiness. Happiness. And you'll see why as we go through. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, when you read those words, which some of us may have known for many, many years, they are arguably the most famous sermon ever given. When we read those words, on the one hand, they are incredibly simple, aren't they? We read them and they're just lovely, encouraging words. And yet, as we get into it, you'll begin to realize that they're not only incredibly simple, they are profoundly deep. And as I've been studying for this series, you quickly realize that many, many different people have lots of different ideas about the Beatitudes, depending on the thing that they particularly want to talk about. So, for example, one well-known church leader recently interpreted them in this way. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at school lunch tables. The laundry guys at the hospital. The sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the losers. Or as I read this week, somebody interpreted them in this way. So the, 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 the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They interpreted them as happy are those who put their trust in God. Or they went on for the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. They interpreted it as those happy are those who are happy with what they have. And on and on, as you get into this, you'll begin to realize that the Beatitudes have been interpreted in many, many different ways, both profoundly simple and yet profoundly deep. For some, they are prescriptions that we should follow. So we should try and be poorer in spirit 
because if we do so, then we will find the kingdom of heaven. We should try and be merciful so that we might receive mercy. That's how some people interpret them. For others, they're, they're less kind of prescriptions that we should do. They're more guarantees so that if you are meek, not that you've got to try and be meek, but if you are, then you can take comfort because you'll inherit the earth. If you are mourning, comfort is ahead. But if they're guarantees, then who are they guarantees for? Are they guarantees for everybody who's mourning? And if so, what does that comfort look like? Because I know quite a few people right now who are mourning and they don't feel very comforted. So they're either prescriptions for some people or they're guarantees for others. But if so, who are they guarantees for? And then here's the final question. As we read them, if we're honest, don't some of them seem a little bit far-fetched? As I say, you ask anybody who's mourning, they don't feel very comfortable or comforted. You ask people who you know of who might be referred to as poor in spirit, how do they take comfort the kingdom of heaven is theirs? Questions. So what is going on here in these Beatitudes? Well, hopefully, as we go through this series, which we're beginning today, we will begin to realise that Jesus' words are intensely beautiful and profoundly life-changing. This little study guide that we've produced is free for you to take home. Do take it, have a read through, and you'll see there's a few different kind of perspectives on it as you go through. And then there's different questions for each of the Beatitudes. And then alongside that, there's some daily readings for each of the days that week. And they're kind of readings around the theme of that particular beatitude. And then you'll also notice there's some actions that out of, as a result of this beatitude, there might be things that you wish to do as a result to put this into practice, as it were. And then there's also, for maybe you've got your own kids or you're responsible for kids in some way or you've just got friends, you've got kids, there's a bit that's called Across the Generations where you might try and practice it in some way with younger generations as well. Hopefully, you'll see that it's a profoundly beautiful sermon that has the capacity to change your life. It really is an invitation to a different life. And this morning, as we jump into this, we've got to do some hard work. I hope that's all right. I'm going to set the bar high. We're going to do some study. We're in school. Sorry if school was difficult for you, but this morning, we're going to go deep. Is that all right? I'm either going to lose you or grip you. I'm hoping we'll be gripped. I'll be able to see by your eyes as to whether you're lost as we go through. Because you'll realise that these really are good news. They're not good advice. They're not a motivational pep talk from Jesus. They genuinely are good news for you today and also for our world today if they knew the reality of this good news. In the words that we've put in that guide, because if we believe that the end goal is success, then we haven't grasped the message that we are blessed. Believe me, this upside down message is not a test, because when it all goes wrong, well, he's got us even then. And as we go through this series, I think we'll discover four things. We'll discover lots of things, but four things about Jesus' words that we're briefly going to look at this morning. Each, each of them will leaving us with four questions for us today. Here's the first thing. 
that I think the Sermon on the Mount and particularly these Beatitudes gives to us. It talks to us about happiness. Now, if you're anything like me, I grew up around church circles. And I had this sort of view of Christianity. See it on the screen? I love this. According to the latest research, 6% of the UK would class themselves as practicing Christians. 6%. And there's a presumption amongst many people that Christianity has no place in a 21st century Britain. The presumption is that Christianity is a little bit outdated, all about rules, prescriptions of what you should and shouldn't do that frankly have no place in my modern life, thank you. And yet, of course, on the one hand, there's that, and whilst that is happening, we also, going alongside that, see more and more struggles. Less and less thriving, as we've seen over the last few weeks. We are less and less happy as a society, with more and more emotional distress as a society, more pressures as a society. Everybody knowing that there is something not quite right. Well, Jesus' sermon, I think, shows us that right at the centre of Christianity is human happiness. That there is no such thing as Christian fun days being cancelled. Our problem, though, is that we presume along with our society, that happiness is based on circumstances and is a sort of inner contentment, a feeling. And as one author says, the Beatitudes confront this because they confront us with all of life's trials and overturn many of our ideas about happiness, but they guarantee that the path of life, whatever may be the hardship it entails, leads to the very bliss of God himself, if we know how to follow it in faith and hope. How do we know that? How can we say that this is all about human happiness? How can we say that Jesus is interested in your happiness? It's because of this word, the word blessed. We said it again and again, and it was interesting listening to you, depending on if you've been around church for a while, but depend if you've said blessed or blessed. Some of you I know said blessed and then corrected themselves. Blessed is the word. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart, and so on and so on. I looked up the definition on the uh, internet, which of course has got to be true. Here it is. Made holy, consecrated, worthy of deep reverence or respect, Characterised by happiness or good fortune, bringing comfort or joy. And it's this third definition that is so important for us. Because this is where we're going deep for a moment. Forgive me. Because in the Bible, there's two main different words that we translate blessed. The first, I mean, just think about for a moment the way we use the word blessed. We say, God bless you. And we mean it as something from God. May God bless you. God give good things to you. My wife is blessed with a lovely skin complexion. We say that's from God, but it's a good thing about her attributes. Ah, bless, we say. As a kind of sweet but slightly patronizing way of saying things. Or we use it as a sort of semi-swear word. I can't find that blessed remote. We use the word blessed in lots of different ways. The Bible uses it in two main ways ways. So in the beginning of the Bible at Genesis, we have this word, 
When God promises Abraham, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Or in Deuteronomy 11, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands, and the curse if you don't, and so on. Both of those words are the same Hebrew word, which is what the Old Testament was written in. I won't try to pronounce it for you, you don't need to know. But the subject of those words is God. God gives something. He does the blessing. I will bless you, he says. But there's a second word that the Old Testament uses that we translate as blessing. And we read it here in Deuteronomy 33. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He's your shield and helper, glorious sword. Or in Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sin has taken, so on. Those words, blessing there, is less about God being the subject and it's more about the state that the person is in. They are blessed. They experience good things. This favour of God, as one author says, in this word, it is a description of the state of happiness, privilege or fortune that is upon someone, not the providing or initiating of it. And it is this word that Jesus uses a Greek equivalent in the Beatitudes. Do you see that? In other words, Jesus isn't just saying, blessed are you. This is about human happiness, which is why some versions of the Bible say, happy are you. If you're poor in spirit, for you, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Happy are those who mourn. This is about human happiness. Jesus is saying very simply, this sermon is about human flourishing, thriving, and happiness. And it therefore makes us ask a very profound question. If, says Jesus, this is the pathway to happiness, where do I search for happiness? because it sure isn't any in those things. I want to be happy, so I'm going to mourn. I want to be happy, so I'm going to show mercy to people. Our society says, I'm going to be happy, so I'm going to fill my boots, earn as much as I can, do whatever I can with whoever I want. Where do I search for happiness? First question for us. Am I convinced that in my own head, if only I could have this, whatever this is, then I will be happy? If only I could have a partner, yes. If only I could have children, yes. If only I could have this job, yes. If only I could have a slightly bigger house, yes. If only I could have a bigger car, if only my skin wasn't so wrinkly, if only I didn't sag so much, if only I was more beautiful, if only, if only, if only this, then I will be happy. Jesus says, no, you do not find happiness in those things. Let me tell you, happy are those who are pure in heart, happy are those who mourn, happy are those who are poor in spirit. That's the first thing we notice. It's about happiness. The second thing is this. It's also about a relationship. Because, of course, the question is, if it's about happiness, who gets the happiness? Is it everyone? 
Because at some point, we'll all mourn. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would guess there are many in this room who have mourned. Some I know who are mourning, but I would guess most of us will mourn at some point in our lives. Is Jesus saying that therefore we're all in? We're all happy? I don't think so. Because that's when we turn to our Isaiah 61 passage that we read at the beginning. You see, for his first hearers, the moment Jesus started using the word of pure in spirit, pure in heart, poverty of spirit, righteousness, meek, merciful, they would have instantly known Isaiah 61, which is kind of like a major famous bit that they would have understood. And let me just read to you again and notice the emphasis in these words, which I think we sometimes forget. Isaiah 61, verse 2. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, i.e. Jerusalem. Verse 6. You will be called priests of the Lord. Verse 8. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. And then verse nine, these words, their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Do you see? There is a relationship there, which is why this one author says these words. It's important to see that flourishing can never fully occur apart from a proper relationship with the creator God. All of the Bible's vision of human flourishing, both now and in the age to come, either assumes or explicitly states this fact. Let me explain this. We have a tree that looked beautiful, and yet its roots were dying. To all intents and purposes, it looked very big, profound, strong. You could have said it was thriving, and if trees could be happy, not that they can, it was a happy tree. Anyone would have said, wow, it was kind of the tree in the road. And yet the experts could see, because of certain fungus, the roots were dying, so it had to be removed because it was actually being eaten from the inside out and eventually would have fallen over, even though it looked very happy. And it's important to remember, therefore, that when we use the word blessed, it is about happiness, but it is also about a relationship that ensures that happiness. That relationship with the God who made us. Or if you like, that rootedness to the very one who gives life in the first place. And so, it leaves us with a question. If this is about a relationship, do I have that relationship? Am I striving for happiness in all those things and yet leaving behind the very one who gives life in the first place? Because Jesus' first hearers and us today would hear that and say, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who know their covenant God and therefore theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's about a relationship. So may I ask you, do you have that relationship with the God who made you? 
One of the joys of being part of a church community like this is that we've all got different stories and yet many of us know that we have that relationship with the God who made us, not because we're impressive, but because we know that Jesus has stepped in on our behalf and we've said, God, please forgive me. I'm your child. And even today, for some of us, there's the opportunity to say, yes, I want that relationship. Let me come into your presence, God. So that's the second thing. Happiness is about a relationship. But here's the third thing. Not only is it about those things, it also has something very profound to say about Jesus, this sermon. Because it's very easy to forget who says this. Jesus does. And that's why I read those opening words, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, just before the Beatitudes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. And if you know anything about the Bible, as those people would have done, the moment Jesus goes up on a mountainside, and you've got Matthew here, who is a very Jewish author, they would have instantly known who else went on a mountainside. Hmm, Moses. And what did Moses do when he went on a mountainside? Oh, he got given the Ten Commandments, didn't he? And then he brought them back down. But not only that, what does Jesus do? He sits down as if to say, I'm not standing. Now, this is done. Jesus is saying very clearly, I am the new Moses, and what I'm about to say is the one, is the thing, is God's message. In other words, I am re-envisioning, re-interpreting, re-fulfilling, if you like, these Ten Commandments for you. Let me tell you what they are. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And it's really important for us to clock this. Why? Well, one author has said it. Jesus is the one who says who is and who is not blessed. Our customary belief in Jesus somehow leads us at times to miss such a basic point. But one can't fail to see that Jesus here steps into the pages of Israel's history as someone who speaks uniquely for God. And he does so with a truth claim so vital that one sees him as more than God's prophet. What the author is simply saying is, Jesus, this is more than just a pep talk, an inspiring little vision. Great, nice, thanks, Jesus. Jesus is saying, this is the way. I am speaking from God on behalf of God, all about what it means to live a full human life and where eternity is and where you are in it all. In other words, I am God's spokesperson. Which, of course, when Jesus himself sits down to preach from Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, what does he say when he's finished saying this? Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Very simply, they're all about me, he says. I am the one who blesses. I am the one who gives the opportunity who gifts you the kingdom. And so here's the question for us then. If the first question is, where are we seeking for happiness? The second question is, do I have that relationship with God? Well, here's the third one. Have I seen how unique Jesus really is? Jesus is not just a good guy. 
He's not just an inspiring teacher. He's not just a fantastic role model. He's not just a prophet. He's nothing other than God himself, who, of course, went on to live out these Beatitudes when he himself mourned for his friend Lazarus, when he himself was persecuted, when he himself showed mercy when others didn't, when he himself cried out with one poor in spirit, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he himself was the meek, literally he was stamped down upon by society. It's all about Jesus. But of course, there's one other thing. Because the question is, that's all very interesting, Tim. You lost me a little bit, but you gripped me on some bits. But how is this all about happiness? How do I get it? (laughs) Because frankly, I'm mourning at the moment. Or frankly, I'm meek. Or frankly, I'm pretty poor in spirit at the moment, and it doesn't seem very kingdom of heaven-y to me. And that's where the fourth thing kicks in. The Beatitudes are about the future now. We live out that relationship with God now, but we know that now it is not yet as it will be. We may experience the kingdom of heaven now for those who are Christians, but we know that now it is not as it will be in all eternity. Because did you notice in Isaiah 61, as we were reading through again, how many times it says will? Verse 3, you will be called oaks of righteousness. Verse 4, they will rebuild. Verse 6, you will be called. Verse 9, you will be known. It's about the future. And of course, Jesus announces that now and says it's now. And we will see it ultimately in all its fullness when we come face to face with him in all eternity. And so the Beatitudes are true today because of the future guarantee about them. Because the kingdom of heaven for those who are Christians is guaranteed for you, that therefore enables you to take heart right now. You are truly thriving and truly flourishing if you are poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is yours. One day, all those tears will be gone. And that, of course, enables you to get through now. You are truly thriving and flourishing if you're in a relationship with God and mourning. Why? Because you know that one day you will be comforted, which enables you to have comfort right now. You are truly happy and thriving if you are in relationship with God and are humble or meek. Why? Because you know that one day when you're face to face with God in the new heavens and the new earth, you will inherit the earth. Therefore, it doesn't matter so much now, does it? If you're, you can be truly thriving and flourishing and happy now, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you know that one day you will be filled when you come face to face with God Almighty and all wrongs are righted. Yes, hallelujah. You can be happy and thriving and flourishing now if you are in that relationship with God and are merciful. Why? Because you know that you're going to be shown mercy because of Jesus. And therefore, I can treat others with that same mercy because it doesn't matter. 
You can be happy and flourishing and thriving now if you're in that relationship with God and pure in heart because you know that one day you'll see God. I mean, how good's that? Can't get much purer in heart than that. That enables you now to be singular focused on the good stuff, the pure stuff. You can be truly happy, thriving and flourishing now if you are a peacemaker in that relationship with God. Why? Because you know that you've got peace with God. And therefore you can have peace and make peace with others because it doesn't matter. And finally, you can be truly happy, thriving and flourishing now if you're persecuted for righteousness. Why? Because you know the kingdom of heaven's yours. And one day, all that persecution, all those words, and as we're taught so often by our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for their faith, they know that this three score years and ten ain't the deal. And so friends, here's the fourth question for us. Do I expect ease and comfort now? Because if you're anything like me, you had the experience the other day in a supermarket where I was queuing up for one of those self-serve bits, you know, where you beep at yourself. And then suddenly they got closed down. And I got so annoyed. I queued diligently. And so I had to join this other queue full of people with baskets full of lovely food just like me. And I, was, and I, in that moment, got checked myself. Are we so consumed by the comfort now that we forget all the blessings we have now and forget that this ain't the real deal and that one day we will join with all those who name the name of Jesus in praise of our God and say, God, thank you in that kingdom of heaven, face to face with the God who made us, loves us, holds us, and will carry us through. So we're up for this series. It's an invitation to a different life. May we be people who look in the right direction to find that life. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for looking in the wrong places for happiness and hope. Father, we realise that your way is very different to our way. And Lord, when we realise, we see that you're holding us even now. And so I pray for all of us, Lord, for those in the happy times of life or in the challenging times right now, Lord God, would we realise that there is something way bigger and much deeper going on in our lives? May we search only for you. May we deepen that relationship with you. May we have our eyes firmly fixed on eternity. And may we realise that, Jesus, you are all that you said you were. So, Father, take us, use us. May we be comforted today, we pray, by the everlasting hope of the good news of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.